I hope you have a Bible with you and you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll be there in just a moment and we'll read a text. On the screen you see this phrase that you've heard here a lot. If you've been here for any length of time, you've heard this multiple times where I said, God is working on you, in you, through you, and for you. And we celebrate what God is doing and how he is growing us and maturing us and changing us. And uh, we're, we're grateful that we're not the person that we used to be. We're thrilled to be growing in the Lord, to have that opportunity and that blessing. And uh, I'm excited to get Sunday school and and uh, children's church going up again, get our Bible classes going. Uh, that'll be a blessing, and a blessing for our teachers, a blessing for our kids, and a blessing for the adults, because we have a Bible class in here for the adults and the teenagers. Teenagers have met a couple times, uh, but uh, the adults haven't. So it'll be a blessing to get back and going on that. And, and we'll start uh, Sunday night uh, sometime in the near future, too. Um, and we, we've just got a lot of things to deal with because uh, we don't live in the same world we lived in in February. Uh, everything has changed. And uh, so I did read an article by a pastor who caught um, COVID-19. And he said the only thing he could think of is that he shared the same pulpit that the song leader did, and then the song leader got it, and then he got it. So Jim and I are swapping out and not sharing, and, and that's okay. We're just not trying to be ridiculous about it, but trying to be safe enough. And But that pastor who caught COVID even said at the end of his art, he said, look, I still think we need to meet together. I think we need to do what we can. And he said, I wish I didn't catch it. He ended up getting over it. Praise the Lord for that. But he said, I wish I didn't catch it. But I, it was worth the risk to be able to gather together with people. And uh, it is a blessing to see you here today. And uh, to see the newest member of our Victory family here, Ivy. So you can wave at her from a distance, but don't go hang out with them. They're... Uh, in fact, they, they let Megan hang out with them, but not me. <sighs> but that's okay, because somebody today told me I was cute. <laughs> I think they need glasses. I'm not sure. But listen, uh, let's, let's get serious about what God is doing, okay? I want you to watch on the screen. Because we're going to add to this. God is not just working on you, in you, through you, and for you. Let's add to it. God is working with you. So it's great that he's working on us because, hey, we all need help, right? And, and it's great that he's working in us, the Holy Spirit of God living inside so that when you feel drawn towards sin, the Holy Spirit brings conviction. When you're unsure what to do, the Holy Spirit brings direction. And, and so the Holy Spirit helps and guides and protects us. And it's great that God is working in us. And it's great that he's working through us. Some of you have had the opportunity to lead people to Christ, to help people memorize scripture, to help explain the word of God to people. And, and you just feel God working through you. Sometimes even just a touch. I'm, I miss the hugs. 
I'm, I'm still not hugging everybody, but I miss it. Uh, I enjoy hugging. I was talking to Juana earlier, and I, man, I, I was praying for her this week, and I thought, I haven't hugged Juana in months, and I would always go give her a big hug, and, uh, and I miss that. But, but God is working through us, and, and God is working for us. He's a, he's, I don't want to make it sound trivial, but God's a cheerleader for us. He wants us to do what's right. He's excited when we do, and, and he's for us, and he's on our side. But, but this is an important thing that we need to add to it, that God is working with us. It's not just that the Holy Spirit works inside you and then guides you so that you can minister to others. It's as if the Holy Spirit, who is called the paraclete or the comforter, the one who comes alongside, it's as if the Holy Spirit of God puts his arm around you like I miss being able to do with Juana, and then he walks along with you to do what you need to do. It's not that God just put a little thing in there in you and said, now go out and do. He's right there with you, helping you, ministering, caring. God is working with you, not merely helping you grow and mature, not merely equipping you to do His good work, but actually accomplishing His work in partnership with you, in partnership with you. So let's look at how Paul described that here in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to begin in verse number 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 well, no, verse number 9, sorry. Well, I'm going to go ahead and read verse 8 because we'll come back to it later. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For you are God's, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. Verse 11. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. I, I was listening to an audio book this week. I decided not to finish it. Um, a guy has these uh, rules for life, and, and he was sharing his intuition and his insight. And he said he spent a little time studying Christianity, and he wants to spend more time studying other faiths because he's not a believer in anything. He just thinks that whatever faith you have helps you and encourages you. Uh, but the Apostle Paul here affirms what we already know through the Holy Spirit inside us. There is no other foundation. If your faith stands on anything other than a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you end up in hell. Even if you're a kind and gracious person, faithful to the, the teaching that you were taught growing up, you still end up in hell unless you believe and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. No other faith helps. It helps in this life, but it doesn't prepare you for the life to come. There is no other foundation than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, this is for believers. Believers who have made a, a state, who have received Christ, have made a profession of faith. They know they're on the way to heaven. And now God says, listen, I want more than just to see you in heaven. Here's what I want. 
Not everyone, I'm sorry, back in verse 12, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, or stubble, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as by fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Heavenly Father, as we look in your word, as we seek to make these truths real in our own hearts and lives and then seek to live in a way that will please you because we choose to follow and obey your truth, I pray that you would speak to us. We need the Holy Spirit to get understanding. As we looked at last Sunday, the natural man can't get it. We need the Holy Spirit of God to help us understand. So I pray that you would help us to understand, to be drawn closer to you, to make wise and informed decisions inside our heart, to live in a way that pleases you. In Jesus' name, amen. God is working with you. You see, Paul describes our connection with God in this working relationship using several terms. The first is that we are God's fellow workers. We are his fellow workers. And if you kids have that kid sheet blank, that's, that's uh, the blank that you fill in there, the fellow workers. Now, I don't know exactly what job this guy's doing, but I know it's not one I want to do. He's got muscled up and he's turning and torquing that wrench and, and going to town. We are God's fellow workers. We are people. Here's what it means to be a fellow worker. We're people who participate in the same activity. People who do the same thing. Now, a bunch of us in here have jobs. And uh, well, several are working from home. Ben's kind of working from his second home. <laughs> he, he owns a business, and, and that's where he probably spends more time there than he does at home. But, uh, but we have different jobs, and Megan and I come here, and we work here. But you go to different places, you do different things. And so when we're at work, my only fellow worker when I'm at work is Megan. And, and you have different workers who work with you, Ben and Teresa work together in their business, uh, but we're all fellow workers with God. We're all doing the same business as God. We're all involved in the same activity. We're all pursuing the same priorities as God. Do you see the seriousness of this connection? The amazingness that God wants to share this with us? Our highest good is to do the work of God, calling people to repentance, to salvation, to faith. 
You could be a mom or a dad, a kid or a grandparent, and you work together with everyone to further the work of God. This is what we do together with God. We are serving with him. Uh, see, Look at the beginning of verse 8. The beginning of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 8. He says, uh, Now he who plants and he who waters are one. We serve together. We have group effort. We're all involved. We're all connected. We're all serving. But then he says, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Group effort, but we are rewarded individually. And we're not just rewarded for the results. We're rewarded for our effort. So if you witness for Christ and the person gets saved, you get a reward. If you witness for Christ and the person does not get saved, you get a reward. If you give generously to the work of God and it's a huge financial donation and it allows the church to do some big thing or uh, a missionary to do some big thing because you've done this very generous work toward God, you get a reward. If you have two mites, two tiny little coins that you put in the offering box and that's all you have, you get a reward. In fact, Jesus said, the poor widow gave more than all the rich people because she gave everything she had. And so we get rewarded not for the result. We get rewarded for our efforts. Now, in school, it's not really that way. In sports, it's not that way. In piano and in musical instruments, it's not that way. In, in fact, in order to go in uh, high school, they have competitions of various levels, and, and you can go to regionals, and then you can go to state, and the kids who get to all state, they don't get there just because they practice more than the other kids. They get there because they're a lot better than the other kids. But in our reward with God, you get rewarded for your effort. I, I find that good news. That That's encouraging. And we are rewarded for our work and for our labors, not for our results. We work together. Did you ever have to do a group project in school? Uh, all the younger people, if they went to public school, they had to do group projects in school. That's just the way it was. And I, I remember when we were in college, we had a couple of classes where we had to do group projects. And it was very frustrating because some people were serious and studying and learning and willing to put in a lot of effort, and other people were just lazy and didn't care, and they didn't care if they got a C, and if you wanted to get an A, you had to do twice as much work, because they weren't doing as much, and, and it was frustrating, and sometimes in our Christian efforts, it can feel frustrating, because we're in a group project, but you get individual rewards. Now, normally in school, in a group project, your group got an A or a B or a C or a B minus or whatever, and, and you didn't get a separate reward. But with God, he judges fairly. You get rewarded for what you do, and you don't get rewarded for what somebody else did. 
So some of you kids are here because your parents made you come. I don't think there's any kids under age 16 who are here because they woke up and chose to be in church and drove themselves here. You're here because your parents made you come. But you are involved in the work of God. And you can grow and you can earn reward even as a kid. So we're, we're God's fellow workers. That's a big, huge thing. The second one is that you are God's field. Look in verse 9. Again, he says we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's field. Well, what does a field look like? And by the way, this use of the word field, outside of around town, there's lots of empty fields that they're not cultivating. But the, the word that is used here in 1 Corinthians that Paul used describes a cultivated field. So around us, to the south of us, there's a couple of big empty areas, just empty fields. Nothing's growing, nothing's happening. But then you go a little bit further and there's cotton fields. There were corn fields, but they've harvested already. And so this is talking about a field that's being worked. So the picture I have on the screen is a wheat field. It's not an empty, barren, desert field. So when he says you're God's field, he's not just saying, hey, you're a hunk of dirt out there. By saying you're God's field, it's, you are a field that is being actively cultivated. Now, to really appreciate the value of this description, we have to go all the way back to the beginning. What beginning? The beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we go all the way back to creation, and on day one, God created the heaven and the earth. He created the expanse of the universe, but not the stars. He created light and dark, but not the sun and the moon yet. How could it be light without the sun? We're talking about God here, okay? God can do whatever he wants to do. He created the heaven of God, the angels, planet earth. The earth was without form and void. He hadn't developed it yet, but he created the earth. And then on day two, he created the atmosphere. He created the heavens and the sky, uh, the, ground, the atmosphere around planet earth. On day three, he created dry land and herbs and grasses and trees to come up out of the dry land. On day four, the stars, the lights in the firmament of heaven, the sun and the moon. And then on day five, he created sea creatures, uh, giant sea creatures and birds, some birds with a wingspan that would go beyond the, the center point of this building. Uh, he created giant birds and giant creatures in the sea, and, and he created all that. And then on day six, he created land animals and critters, like cockroaches and all kinds of little critters. He created them on day six, and then the crowning touch of his creation was also on day six. He created humanity. He created people. He created Adam and Eve. Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And by the way, having dominion doesn't mean we have a right to abuse. We should not abuse animals. We should not abuse the earth. 
We don't have a right to abuse. We just have a right to be an authority over. Then he says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. There's a lot more than two people on planet earth today. That's in fulfillment of what God said. Multiply and uh, Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moveth on the earth. And then in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15, it says, God, the Lord God, took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. From the very beginning, from the day that God created man, God put him in the garden. He put him in there to work in the field. So in the same way that Adam and Eve were put in the garden to tend the soil, to take care of things, so now God has called you his field that you are to work in the harvest of humanity. You are to work and to labor to strengthen people and equip them and build them up because we are God's field. So we are partners with God in the ongoing creation of the church by tending to people just like Adam and Eve tended to the garden. And when it says you are God's field, that's plural. See, in Kathy Bird's lingo, this is all y'all. Did I get that right? All y'all. So that this is something that we do together. It's not you individually, but all of us together. We're God's field. We're laboring and toiling and cultivating to bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. Then he adds at the end of verse 9, you are God's building. Now, when you think of a building... You think of like the building that we're in or skyscrapers or uh, massive buildings going up. Last Sunday, I shared some statistics from 1904. The tallest thing in the world built by man was the Eiffel Tower back in 1904. And, and now there's skyscrapers that tower way, way beyond that. You get amazing views from the upper floors of those uh, skyscrapers. But that's not the idea that Paul's writing about here. When he says you're God's building, it, it's a little bit easier for us to comprehend, like you're God's building project. So on the screen, I have a picture of a guy who's building guitars. He's a craftsman. He's carving them and cutting them and gluing them, and, and he's building guitars. He's building something. And so uh, if you take your Bible and turn over to Ephesians chapter 4, he describes what the building of the church is. In uh, Ephesians chapter 4, <coughs> excuse me, beginning in verse <coughs> 11, and he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now, I want you to pause right there. Uh, it, there are people today who say apostles still exist, prophets still exist. Well, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he says later on that prophecies ceased. 
and, and prophecies have, have stopped. There aren't prophets like there were in the Bible revealing new truth from God. There are people who boldly proclaim God's truth in a prophetic manner to speak forth the Word of God, but we're not generating new material. If you listen to somebody who has new revelations from God, be leery of that. They're not following the truth of God's Word. Move, move away from that. Now, the Holy Spirit can lead you to do certain things, and yes, but that's not the same as giving you new revelation to teach a bunch of people. So, uh, but, but I also, you know, thought we should point out and mention there that the pastor is a gift from God for the church. Just, sorry. All right, back to verse 12, okay? For this is the purpose, in fact, this is the reason why pastors exist, why God put pastors and evangelists and teachers to work in the church for the equipping of the saints, the building up of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, so that we can build up people, we can equip them, we can advance the work of God. That's why they exist, not to build followings after themselves, but to build up the building that God wants to see. Till we all come uh, till we all come to the unity of the faith in the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, how much room do you have for growth? Well, you compare yourself to who you used to be, you might look pretty good. You compare yourself to other people, you might look really good. You compare yourself to Jesus Christ, you got a lot of room for growth. So he's saying that's the end result is we seek to grow in Christ-likeness. And uh, so let's jump back in there. To the fullness of Christ, verse 14, that we should no longer be, killed, be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of man and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Okay, kids, he's not making fun of you. He's not saying, oh, grow up and stop being a kid. No, what he's saying is it's easy for kids who haven't learned yet to not know the difference in some things. And people can deceive a kid easier than they can deceive somebody who has studied and learned and knows. So he's saying, don't be like that. And then he says in verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causing growth of the body for the edification, edifying of itself in love, for the building up and growing and maturing in love. That's the building that he's saying. It's not that you, God wants you to be a hunk of sideboard. He's saying God wants you to be in the process of this building project to grow his church, to build and mature individual people so they can grow up to become more like Christ, so they can mature in the faith, so they can do things that God would want them to do. We are building up of the body in love. That's the building that we're doing. We are God's building project. In fact, look back in Ephesians chapter 2, 
you were just in chapter 4, look in chapter 2 and verses 8, 9, and 10. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Salvation is a gift. There is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We receive the free gift. It's not of works, verse 9 says, lest anyone should boast. You can't say, dude, I got saved. I'm impressive. I've done something. You haven't earned salvation. You've received a free gift. But then he says in verse 10, for we are his workmanship. Some have translated that his masterpiece comes from the Greek word poema, a poem from where we get the word poem. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So if you're a believer, even if you're a kid, God's plan is that you be good and do good and serve him. That's God's plan for your life. So his workmanship, his poema, his masterpiece, his building. Back in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3 and verse 9, you are his building. This is what God wants to build up. He wants to build up a people who are committed to following him. Now in uh, chapter 3 and verse 10, Paul calls himself a master builder a wise master builder. And he's not being arrogant at all. He is simply pointing out the role that God called him to. He's saying, God called me to help lay the foundation of following Christ. He was the first man in Corinth who shared the gospel. He came into town, he preached the truth of Christ, he labored, he built up a church, he taught them, he instructed them, he laid the foundation. And then he said, now you need to build on that foundation. Paul, he's not um, arrogant at all. He's just pointing out the role God called him to do. Uh, some people think pastors are arrogant because they lift themselves above the people. Well, they shouldn't. They're among the people, but they have a role to fill that God called. And, and uh, Peter told uh, the pastors and elders in the church, he said, taking the oversight, you have to do this. It's not an option. This is something God has called you to do. And so God has different roles for you to do. If you're a parent and you have kids at home, God has called you to be the authority in their lives to help guide them to Christ, to be an example, but to also be an authority. No kid likes to be under authority any more than most adults like to be under authority. But that's God's calling in your life to do this. So now look in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11. He says, For other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now. So not only are you God's building, but you are building on Christ. Look in verse, no, we're not there yet. We're, you're building on Christ. Uh, he's, he's saying, you are God's building. If anyone builds on this foundation, 
That's you. You're building on your Christian faith. So how does that happen? Well, how many of you got saved more than two years ago? A whole bunch of people did. Okay? You got saved more than two years ago. Then in that time, from when you got saved till now, you should be growing. Now, some of us got saved 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. And from that time you got saved, you're building on that foundation. Now, when our kids were little, we used to have some blocks, and I could build it all the way up to the ceiling. Well, not that high of a ceiling, but we didn't have that many blocks. But I'd build these massive castles way up, up high, and then they'd get back with a ball, and they'd roll it into the bottom, and the whole thing would come crashing down, and the people in the apartment downstairs never fussed about it. Uh, but it was, it was fun. We'd build it up and crash it down. And, uh, but see, you, you're supposed to build on it. So you're supposed to add layers. You're supposed to be building your life on Christ, maturing and growing in Him, and just adding and adding and adding and doing more and accomplishing more and learning more and building up your life in Christ. The foundation in your relationship is a gift of God received by grace. But how you build on that foundation is your responsibility. God didn't say, hey, as long as you get saved, we're good forever. He said, once you're saved, now God, as we read in Ephesians, had planned in advance the work for you to do after you were saved. He already planned this in your life. And he's already planning and maturing. And some of you are still at home. You're not sure what you're going to do with your life. You're, you got some ideas and some plans and some concepts. But God has it all figured out what he wants you to do. And you just need to make sure you follow the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God and mature and grow in him. When my son Nathan graduated from high school, he planned to be a pharmacist. And he said to me, he said, Dad, you know, I'm, I'm in college now. He was in his freshman year of college, and he said, I've always wanted to be a pharmacist since I was nine years old. This is what I wanted to do. But I never really prayed and asked God what he wanted me to do. So should I stop doing this? Should I do something else? And I said, God has built into you a desire for pharmacy, which I hated chemistry. Hated chemistry. Some of you liked it, and God will forgive you in heaven. Uh, but, but I really hated it. Nathan took extra chemistry just for fun while he was in college. Weird kid. And, but, but I told him, I said, Nathan, what you do is you say, God, this has the, been the only thing in my heart to be a pharmacist. It's, it's the only longing I've had, the only desire I've had. It re- feels like it's the right thing for me to do. So I'm going to pursue this. And please, God, if it's the wrong thing, please show me. I want to do what you want for me to do. Well, he's now a managing pharmacist up in the Flagstaff, a managing pharmacist and doing well. And, but, but he wanted to do what God wanted him to do. It's not like God, you know, sends somebody to knock on your door. You open the door. I have a message for God for you. You need to do this. But you study the word of God. You pray. You ask God. You yield all your future dreams to him. 
and allow him to guide your life. And then you build on this foundation that he has put there. God has the capacity to see exactly what are your motives and what the eternal value of your labor is. And he said, your works will be tried by fire. So what happens when gold, silver, or precious stones are tried by fire? The stones aren't really affected unless it's incredibly intense heat. But the, the worst that it does is it purifies it. The gold becomes more goldy, less of the additives that creep into the metal. The silver, same thing. The precious stones, not really effective. What happens when fire hits the wood, hay, and straw or stubble at the end of verse 12? Well, years ago, about 17 years ago, we wanted to have a youth retreat here, and we had kids from different churches joining us here, and we wanted a big fire. So I talked to Jim Ricosi, and I said, we want to build a massive fire. And so I, uh, he said, you have to go down to the fire department and get a permit. So I go into the fire department, you get a permit, I tell them, we're going to have young people here, we're going to have a fire, and it's going to be a really big fire. And they said, well, how big? I said, oh, massive. Flames will be 80, 100 feet in the air. Well, they laughed and they approved the permit, and we got the permit. And then I came back here to the church and I showed Jim, I got the permit. He said, okay. And so <laughs> we built it up so big before, it was, uh, before we lit it, that in the end, Jim and I were each grabbing hunks of wood, and he's holding one, and I'm holding the other, and we're swinging and throwing it way up on top. It was probably 30 feet high, wasn't it, Jim? Just this massive pile of wood and stuff, and the inside was stuff that'll burn easy, and just, and, and it was going to be great. And then we had the young people here that night, and we let that baby, and man, pretty soon we had this torch going up, and after a few minutes, you know, the fire department showed up. And I go over and I talk to them and they said, that's a huge fire. And the guy that signed, approved the permit, he was there on the truck. And I said, I told you, it was going to be 80, 100 feet in the air. He said, I thought you were joking. <laughs> and he said, our dispatch is inundated with calls because the church is on fire and everybody's calling in. And I said, the church is fine. He said, well, I see that now that we're sitting here in the parking lot. And <laughs> it was so bright, the street lights went off. They thought the sun came up. It was great. By the way, the next month, the city made a new ordinance and limited the fires to these itty-bitty little pathetic little things. But we had a good one, didn't we, Jim? <laughs> now listen, when it's here on earth and it's legal and it's controlled and you're prepared, like we had swept the ground, there, were, there was no, no way a flame would come off and land on something else to burn because we'd cleaned the field up way away from that fire because we knew this would be massive. And the ground was cleared. We had two hoses out there. We were ready in case of anything. It wasn't just Jim and I having fun, although that was a high priority. But, but listen, when it's on earth and it's legal and it's approved and it's safe enough, you can have a massive fire. 
And that's okay as long as it's not destroying property or anything. It's okay. But when you stand before God and your works are lit on fire, they're tried by fire, you don't want a massive fire. You don't want wood, hay, and stubble or straw. You want the precious stones. You, you want the good stuff. You want the lasting stuff. You wanna, don't want to watch your whole life go up in flames right before you. You want something that has value that you can give back to the Lord, the, the precious gift of your life and your service. On the day that God examines our works by fire, we all hope we have a small flame. But we have to build toward that flame. We have to think about every day, think about our lives and our priorities and our tasks and, and where we're going with our life. You want gold and silver and precious stones. You want to have good motives and pursue good works. You, you don't want wood, hay, and stubble or straw. Now go ahead and bring up that last, uh, next slide. This is the last thing he says. You are or we are God's temple. Now, the temple was the holy place where people would meet with God. The temple had courtyards for the Gentiles, for women, for Jewish men. Everyone could come and learn to God or connect with God at the temple. The temple had a holy place and a holy of holies. It was set apart and it was holy for God. Now, on this model that somebody has built, if you look, you see courtyard on one side, courtyard on the other. But, but then in the middle, there's a courtyard for a Jewish men, and then the area where the priests alone served, and then the higher part that's in there, that's the Holy of Holies, where the high priest would go in and offer the sacrifice for the country. The temple, the, what God is called, he's saying, the assembly of believers in Corinth were a temple. Not each individual person, but their assembly. It's a plural word. You together. We are the temple. The assembly of believers called the church in Corinth was the temple of God for that community. And we are the temple of God for our community. Uh, our assembly is a holy place where people can meet God. Our assembly is open to anyone who desires to connect with God. And the meeting place space was set apart and separated and holy for God. And that's our job in Casa Grande and Arizona City and, and Coolidge and Eloy and Maricopa. That's our job to be the representative of God. And, and see, I believe that verse 17 is a warning to those who mess with the church. Look at verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. There are people who mess with the church. They attack churches. They, they cause trouble in church. They cause division in churches. And I believe they have a, God has a judgment that they will face because of what they have done in the church. We may not see it on earth. But God takes the church very seriously. 
I'll bring up that last slide. God is working with you to accomplish His work. God is doing this. The Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the comforter, the one who comes alongside, He's putting His arm around you figuratively, spiritually. He's walking with you. He's serving with you. He's guiding you. Like a parent with a child, if he sees you go in the wrong direction, he's going to steer you back. I, I think it's hilarious if you go walking in a grocery store, you see parents, and quite often you see a parent reach down, turn the kid's head, and go walking this way. Because <laughs> the kid wants whatever it is there, and the parent just turns the head away. The Holy Spirit does that on the inside of us. He guides us and protects us and God is working with us. Even if you're a kid, even if you're old, even if you're older than me, which according to my grandkids, that's almost impossible. God is working with you. Isn't that cool that God chooses to partner with us? And when we work with God, God is working with us. So He's working on us, in us, through us, for us, and with us. So, how are you doing on your side of it? God's doing His work. How are you doing? What in your life shows the evidence of you partnering with God? What shows that you're a believer, that you're a child of God, that you're following Him? Well, if you don't see much, he says here that each person is responsible for their own. I have laid the foundation, but let each take heed how he builds on it. You're responsible for your spiritual life. Kathy and I had a friend years ago, and, and he blamed his church on all his problems. He said, it's all their fault. I wouldn't have got caught up in sin. I wouldn't have ended up leaving my wife. I wouldn't have done any of those things. If the church had just discipled me, it's all their fault. Not once in Scripture... Does God command the church to make you a disciple? It tells the people in the church to go and make disciples, but each person is then supposed to disciple themselves, to grow and mature. As a church, through our teaching and preaching and sometimes counseling, we help in that process. But you're the one responsible for you, and each one will receive his own reward for his own labor. So, what could you do this week? What one thing could you do this week that would make you look more like Jesus Christ? Well, let's do it. Father, may you be honored and glorified by the decisions that we make in response to this message. In Jesus' name, amen.